News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty. Welcome to episode 89 of the Luke Messias Show. For those of you who follow this show and our commentaries here, you probably are pretty convinced that you know who I'm voting for. But what you might not know is that I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016 in the general election. My wife and I talked about it. We discussed it and decided that it wasn't something uh, that aligned with the values that we held or even, honestly, the principles that we thought would be enacted by this president. And that's a really important thing when voting for the president of the United States is to decide whether the policies that they will push are something that you're going to align or agree with. And truthfully, there were way too many doubts that I had going into 2016 as to whether the candidate Donald Trump would actually deliver on many of the things that he was saying he believed. I didn't even know what he believed. That being said, I was trying to think about why I'm even clearer about my decision here going into the 2020 general election. And honestly, when sitting down for the last couple of weeks just trying to decide why I had clarity for the decision I've made, I was reminded of a story of a trip that I took to Washington, D.C. It was about a year ago before COVID hit. My wife and I just took a couple-day weekend away from the kids to see the memorials and the monuments and the museums During that time, uh, about the second night in, I think we went and visited the Jefferson Memorial in the evening. It was literally nighttime. The sun had gone down. It is one of the prettiest places to be at in Washington, D.C. at nighttime. We got there. There was only maybe two people there, and they left relatively soon after. So we were there with one friend, and the three of us sat there for a while. We read every single word inscribed on that memorial, and... It was a time of reflection, of remembering what our nation stood for. After that time, we ordered an Uber. We're going to go grab a quick drink and then go home. We got in and talked to the Uber driver about our experience at the memorial and the things that it reminded us about. There was a quiet moment in the ride to the bar, and he just said, I love America. And it really made us stop for a second. He then said something else. He said, many of you here who've been in America your whole lives take so much of what you have for granted. He is an immigrant from Nigeria. I didn't know this until recently, but Texas is actually home to the most Nigerian immigrants, followed by Maryland, which is where this man lived. He shared with us the story of where he came from, that he came from a village in Nigeria where they had to have their schooling done under a tree. He said he was always sad whenever it would rain or whether they would go through seasons of bad weather because he wasn't able to learn during that time. He fought to get to America. He said that he has given his children more opportunity than he ever had. He said, they will achieve more than I achieve. I love America. It was a really, I would say, impactful experience. It was actually the biggest thing that happened to me on a trip to Washington, D.C., where I spent three days doing nothing but visiting 
historical locations. And the thing that made the biggest impact to me was a conversation with an Uber driver who loves this nation. I'm voting for Donald Trump. I actually already did. And I did so because I believe that I owe it to the rest of America to help preserve the promise that our nation has made, that we are a nation of opportunity. There are two predominant worldviews that are starting to form, and you might not find yourself 100% in one camp or the other, but one sees America as a nation of opportunity, and the other sees us as a nation of oppression. One thinks that our country was founded in 1776 when a group of people that were oppressed came together against a tyrannical government and decided to overthrow that government and establish a more perfect union. Now, more is an important word in that sentence. Not a perfect union, which America has never been, but a more perfect union. There's another school of thought that says that our nation actually started in 1619. The New York Times did a whole project called the 1619 Project to say that America started the day that the first slave ship arrived on our shores and that that oppressive nation has succeeded through oppressing more and more people. You can see that your interpretation of when our country started would greatly impact the way you see our country. It was the conversation with that Uber driver that helped me realize that it takes a certain amount of privilege to view our nation as oppressive. My dad would always tell me where you stand on a subject is often determined by where you sit. And it takes somebody who has grown up in a land of opportunity and has in often many cases, in fact, if you study all the, uh, so many of the people I know that now have this view that we are an oppressive nation, grew up with all of this opportunity and are now looking back and saying, I think our nation is an oppressive nation, not a nation of opportunity. It takes a level of privilege to be able to view our nation in such a way I think it's a dangerous worldview and mindset. And I think if that worldview and mindset are employed through the policies that will be pushed with the Biden-Kamala Harris administration, it will lead to devastating effects on those who are seeking those opportunities. There's something I realized in my consideration of who I was going to vote for in November my family's probably going to be fine regardless of the results. Here's the truth. My wife and I will be great. My children are going to be cared for. They're going to be educated. They're going to be provided for. Financially, we're not going to be significantly affected. We will have many opportunities. My vote is not for me to continue to have some amount of something My vote is for the Nigerian immigrants who come to America and realize that not only do they have opportunities, but their daughters and their granddaughters will have even more opportunities. To think that this is happening around the world is naive. It doesn't happen. It's rare 
to have a nation where people can go from nothing to something, where they can gather it all together through their own work ethic and striving and determination and character and can succeed. It takes a certain type of nation, a nation filled with opportunity to do that. Many of you know somebody who is unfortunately oppressed or is less fortunate than yourself. And the view of that one person can often decide to then define an entire nation by that person's experience. It's a a dangerous perspective. It also doesn't take into account the reality that oppression has and will always exist to some extent. Now, you might take that and think, oh, well, that means that you're excusing any unfortunate oppression that would exist in anywhere in the United States. And that's not my view. In fact, as a conservative, one of the people that I've looked to for direction uh, when it comes to the principles that I hold is is a gentleman named Russell Kirk. And he has an essay he wrote. I'm going to read an excerpt from that essay real quick to give you another perspective that I think comes to play within the view of who America is what America is. And I think the way you interpret that will help you determine who you're going to vote for in November. I'll read this real quick. Russell Kirk says, conservatives are chastened by their principle of imperfectibility. Human nature suffers irremediably from certain grave faults. The conservatives know man being imperfect, no perfect social order ever can be created. Because of human restlessness, mankind would grow rebellious under any utopian domination and would break out once more in violent discontent or else expire of boredom. To seek for utopia is to end in disaster. The conservative says we are not made for perfect things. All that we reasonably can expect is a tolerably ordered, just and free society in which some evils, maladjustments, and sufferings will continue to lurk. By proper attention to prudent reform, we may preserve and improve this tolerable order. But if the old institutional and moral safeguards of a nation are neglected, then the anarchic impulse in humankind breaks loose. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The ideologues who promise the perfection of man and society have converted a great part of the 20th century world into a terrestrial hell. It might not sound that awesome to have a tolerably ordered, free, and just society, but I promise you that is better than the terrestrial hell that will result through the policies, the worldview implemented through a Biden-Kamala Harris administration. And I think that divide is no more clear than in this election. How you view our nation, I think, largely will interpret how you then vote in this election. As a Christian, I also compare it to a problem that we as believers have, if you are a believer. And if you're not, just bear with me. There's a an idea. In fact, it's kind of a, a central core fundamental principle that we hold to as Christians, which is that faith in Christ transforms, it saves, it regenerates, it changes. 
it makes you a new man. We actually talk about the new man versus the old man, the old man being the man you were before you were a Christian, and the new man being who God has called you to be. There's even instances where God, in calling someone to himself, changes their name. That is the level of significance that this new creation brings about. But there's a problem, and if you're a Christian, I know you've encountered this. There's a problem with this new creation, and that is that you still sin. You still falter. You still trip up. You still make mistakes. And the Bible is filled with faithful men sinning. Now, your own conscience and Satan can team up and do something with this reality of faults. And you could say sin or you could say injustices or imperfectibility on this side of eternity. You can either repent and acknowledge faults and move on, or you can define yourself by your faults. I've done this before. You can define yourself. You can look at yourself as everything you've ever done wrong. And that is devastating. It will destroy you. It is not a life-giving perspective. The right thing to do is not to never address any problem, but the wrong thing to do is to define yourself by all of your problems. And America, for all of its imperfectibility and for all of its many faults, when compared across the world, is a nation of opportunity. As a Christian, it's been discussed a lot this election about what our conscience will permit us to do and who our conscience will permit us to vote for. And my conscience is um, seared, or I don't say seared, well, that's a bad word, but my, my conscience is compelled. My conscience is compelled by two uh, fundamental individuals that I care for. One is the poor and the needy. It's the Nigerian immigrant who's come into this land to try to seek out opportunity. And I promise you, the worldview that equal opportunity should be turned into equal outcome will devastate those opportunities for those people. America has always believed in the equality of opportunity. Each and every one of you should have opportunity, and where you don't, we need to correct that. But there are some people who think that that is a broken fundamental system, and we need to move to equal outcome, where each person is turning out with the same result regardless of the effort they put in. And that devastates everyone. No one wins in that scenario. So my conscience compels me for that person. My conscience also compels me for the unborn. I cut a video two years ago about why I wasn't voting for Beto O'Rourke, and it talked a lot about the abortion issue. That hasn't been the primary conversation that I've had with you today. It's still a primary issue for anybody that's a conservative Christian, somebody of faith, or even just somebody who believes in the science and biological realities of who the unborn is. But the truth is that even if you accept 
the identity politics, the intersectionality conversation, which is being had. You have to break down this nation into the different classes that are oppressed. And if you are in a class that is the most oppressed, then you should be most favored within our policy discussions. But even that worldview falls apart when you go to the unborn, because I promise you that unborn children in the United States of America are the most oppressed individual subset of human beings that you will ever, ever find. They are the most disregarded, the most ignored. And it has led to the death of millions of them. You can't separate that issue from the vote you cast. Now, I also want to put that in perspective because even with the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, which I think will happen this week, I want to set the expectations for pro-lifers appropriately. I don't think that the Supreme Court is set to overturn Roe versus Wade. I don't think there are five votes and somebody can prove me wrong. I hope I am proven wrong, but I'm telling you it is not there. I don't think there are five justices. Maybe Amy Coney Barrett would, but she'd be joined by two, maybe three more. So that's not going to be our path to protecting the unborn, but having a culture that respects and fights for and advocates on behalf of the unborn is important. And that is an obligation for us in our private time. It's also an obligation for us in the elected officials' We support. And the truth is that President Trump has done a significant amount for the unborn, even more than George W. Bush did. He probably has been the most pro-life president that we've had in decades upon decades in this nation. And that matters for the most oppressed group in our society. In closing, please get out and vote. And please consider telling all your friends too as well. We are having record turnout in Texas. And what that means is that a ton of your friends that normally don't vote might have already voted. And so if you haven't voted, vote, post a picture, say this is who I'm voting for and go down a list. Because if you're informed down ballot, then what that likely means is that you will sway a lot of them down ballot. Even your friends that are voting for Joe Biden or other Democrats at the top of the ticket might actually vote for Republicans down ballot if you can give them a compelling case, a conservative-minded individual that you support. So I want you to continue to do that. We have a week left. If you haven't voted, vote now. Don't wait till Election Day. Get it done. That way it's absolutely done. Democrats, more of them vote early, more Republicans vote on Election Day. Just something to keep in mind. Guys, uh, if you were listening to this and hoping for some rah-rah for Trump, honestly, I just feel like there's enough of that out there. You can go look at Charlie Kirk or anybody else who will give you a long diatribe on the 27 different accomplishments of our president, okay? I don't want to take away from those accomplishments, but I also just don't think that focusing on a list of his accomplishments is what would convince anyone to vote for him. I don't think any voter who's legitimately undecided on how they would cast their ballot would make a determination I think they know the few issues they agree with or the lot of issues that they agree with on our president. But their decision is coming down to a different set of issues, calculations that they're making. Texans are going to – if Texans do not support the president, then they will decide this election for Joe Biden. 
and that is a sobering reality that we have to deal with. And we have a lot of Republican state legislators who are in competitive battles that have never been in competitive battles before because Democrats are going to spend over $15, 20000000 million to try to flip a couple House seats that give them control of the Texas House. A lot is going to happen over the next week, and I hope you stay tuned. I hope you vote, and I hope you carefully consider the direction that our nation's going. God bless you, and God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you, and God bless Texas.